The story that I want to share this morning is from Parker Palmer's book called Let Your Life Speak. And it's a story that really struck me as we thought of this theme of calling, of listening to that still, small voice, of listening to where love is calling you next in your life and how challenging that can be, discerning between ego and other people's desires and your own deep calling on your life. So this is a story that is about awakening. Parker Palmer tells this story about a time when he was at a very significant moment in his career vocationally. He had interviewed at a small uh, educational institution and He had interviewed to be president. He had met with the students. He'd met with the faculty. He'd met with the trustees. And it was clear that they, 99% were going to offer him this job. So despite feeling certain that he should take it, or feeling pretty clear he should take it, he kept with his Quaker tradition. And he created, he convened a clearness committee. He called his, his closest friends, people who knew him, to come and sit with him in a circle And their job was to ask him questions about his process, how he knew this was the right job, just to help him be certain this was the next right step. So they came together, this committee was convened, and they spent time asking him open and honest questions, and they refrained from giving him advice, just asking questions so his own wisdom would emerge. Most of the questions were fairly easy, and routine, says Parker Palmer. But halfway through the process, someone asked a question that turned out to be very difficult. And the question was this. What would you like most about being president of this institution? After some hesitation, Parker Palmer responded with some of the things he would not like about being president. I would not like having to give up my writing and my teaching, he said. I would not like the politics of the presidency, never knowing who your real friends were. I wouldn't really like the traveling, I don't think, and I'm pretty sure I wouldn't like the fundraising at all. (laughs) Gently but firmly, the questioner said, may I remind you that I asked you what you would like most about being the president of this institution. And there was a long pause, and that clearness committee had the wisdom to hold that question and that space. And after that silence, Parker Palmer said this. Well, I guess what I would most like is getting my picture in the paper with the word president (laughs) underneath it. And the group sat with that because he had spoken the deepest truth and his soul in some ways was at stake in how they responded. And finally, the original questioner spoke again. The original questioner broke the silence with a question that cracked the whole group up and cracked Parker Palmer wide open. And the question was, Parker, can you think of an easier way to get your picture (laughs) in the paper? 
calling, listening to that still, small voice being cracked up and cracked open. Cracked up and cracked open. That just might be the most succinct way to describe what it is on some level we're doing as a faith community. That's the heart of religion, perhaps, that sense of being cracked up, laughing at life's silliness, craziness, whatever, and in the same moment being opened wide, cracked open to some deeper truth that rests right in front of you. Have you guys been paying any attention to the night sky lately? Have you seen the constellations, maybe checked out the moon? I know it's been a little cloudy lately, but I've been spending some time looking at the stars and thinking about the stars. You see, our son, Tucker, who's four years old, has this incredible interest right now in his life in the planets and the stars and the sun and how it all works. We bought an old globe. Remember, old globe? Google Maps is just not the same as an old globe. And we have checked out dozens of books from the library. So we're playing with this globe. We're reading books about the stars and planets. And I'm pretty sure soon we'll be doing that thing with an orange and a flashlight in the globe where you're trying to explain like how the sun shines and the moon is going around them. And as you might imagine, he has a lot of questions. He has a lot of questions about all of this. What's the distance from Minnesota to the moon? He says. I start to answer, and then full of excitement, he jumps in, this young scientific expert, and he confidently says, oh, so it's a million miles. (laughs) Actually, it's a quarter of a million miles, I say, but he's already on to the next question. What about the sun? He says, how far away is the sun? The sun is like 90-some, 93 million miles away. I say. I don't go into more detail, but what I want to say in that moment, what I want my son to know, what I will tell him when he's a little bit older, is that our sun, which is 4.5 billion years old, is a really average star. And because it's average, it's actually remarkable. Suns that are stars that are 25 to 50 times bigger than our sun they burn through their lives in just a couple million years, I understand. And because our sun is average, we had all this time for its warmth and its light to reach the earth for life to unfold here. The sun is kind of, in that regard, being average. It's like the Energizer bunny that just keeps going and it allowed life to emerge. I don't say all that to my son. I just say it's 93 million miles away, and the earth is spinning around it. Oh, he says, so we're going about 100 miles an hour. (laughs) He's right on to that next question. Actually, it's faster than that, I think, I tell him, but maybe it's slower at the South Pole and the North Pole. And he pauses, and he looks at the globe, and he looks at me, and he says, the North Pole is where Santa Claus lives, right? Right? Yes, I say. I'm not giving any more detail. It's yes. He looks at the globe again, and then this serious, 
this serious and curious question. Where was I before I was born? Was I in the stars? His questions crack me up and they crack me open. They crack me open because they push me right into the mystery of it all. They awaken me to the reality and the miracle of this spinning planet we live on. They pull me from that slumber of just taking it all for granted. Or worse yet, just being indifferent to it all. And his questions do something else for me. They remind me of my call to ministry, which began with the stars. Let me tell you. I felt the first stirrings of my call to ministry when I was an adolescent, when I was looking up at the Milky Way, camping in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. I was on a backpacking trip with my dad and one of my brothers, and we had hiked all day and then set up camp near a lake not far from the tree line. We had fresh rainbow trout for dinner. We had told some stories, and then we climbed into our tent and fell asleep. Sometime during the middle of the night, my father woke us up, and he unzipped the door of the tent, and he said, let's just sneak our sleeping bags and pillows out just a little bit, about a foot, foot and a half outside of the tent, and let's look at the stars, he said. There was no light pollution at all, just the bright, dazzling display of the night sky. My dad loved Henry David Thoreau. He loved Ralph Waldo Emerson. He loved John Muir and these other naturalists. Those men spoke to my father about something holy, something sacred that we could discover in the rivers, in the streams, in the mountains, in the valleys, in the sky, and in the stars. And I think my dad wanted us to awaken to that. He wanted us to see that there is this transforming and creative and mysterious power that is at work in the world, that is at work in the human heart. So lying on the grass in the Rocky Mountains, looking up, and really, it could be looking down. We just talk about it as looking up, but I had the moment that night of actually looking down into this ocean of stars seeing this mysterious twinkling, sensing the reality of this power greater than me and my connection to that power. And in that moment, I knew I was a part of everything, and I felt that everything was a part of me. I understood that there was a a, a oneness, a, a union, a unity to all that exists. At that time, of course, I didn't know about the Higgs boson or boson particle, whatever that thing is, the God particle that they now have confirmation exists, that is the glue that interconnects and makes things what they are. I didn't know that. I just felt that we were all interconnected. We were in it together. I understood that night that we all came from this cosmic birth, this big bang, 14 billion years ago. And I sensed that night 
that I could have just as have easily have been a, a meteor or molten lava or a dolphin or a great blue heron or anything else. In that moment, I experienced this awakening. I knew it was a miracle beyond miracles to be alive, to be conscious, to understand the cosmos and this planet as my home. Insignificant as I was, I was one person in a very small three-person tent in the Rocky Mountains on a planet in a galaxy I can barely fathom, I felt known and held and loved by something greater than myself. I felt known and held and loved by something greater than myself. And lying there in my sleeping bag, looking at those stars, I wondered how I could best align my life This is the stirrings of my ministry, how I could best align my life with that creative, loving, mysterious source. Those were the stirrings of ministry. So these questions that Tucker is asking me about the stars, they remind me of my call to ministry, my desire to stay awake to the sacred, to help others awaken to the sacred, so that we might know we are held and loved, that we belong, and then knowing that, we can get about the task of loving others and making this world a better place. That story, that piece of my call to ministry is why on this stole I have, maybe you can see the Big Dipper here, the, it's fairly big Uh, bling on the Big Dipper part. I'll just, I'll step out here. It's why I have the Big Dipper and then all these other little stars in this night sky. It's so that when I wear this, when I do child dedications, when I do memorial services, when I do weddings, when I stand with you today, I remember a piece of the heart of my call to ministry, that, that the stardust that's in me, that's in you, is a part of everything. That that material connectedness speaks to our spiritual interconnectedness. That is why this stole has the night sky and the Big Dipper on it. And I want to stay awake to that truth. I want to serve that truth. So Tucker's questions then, they crack me up and they crack me open. What about you? What wakes you up? What cracks you open? What stars, what image, what thing pulls you from the slumber we all fall into? As Laura said last week in her sermon, what are you doing here with your one wild and precious life? And what are we doing here together? Another story. Another story that helps 
for me, answer that question of what are we doing here together? Nearly four years ago to the day, I was called on the phone by the senior minister search committee of this church, and they informed me that I was the candidate that the search committee wanted to present to the congregation for what would essentially be a week-long interview. Many of you, uh, I'm seeing some of my search committee members here, and many of you remember that, that, that week. It was exhausting for me and exhilarating and a very full week. I was thrilled beyond words at the possibility of serving as your senior minister I was thrilled because I sensed that my calling and this church's calling were similar. And that cracked me open to the possibilities of what we might do together. Put another way, as I met with the search committee four years ago and learned this congregation's history and yearnings, it was as if we were both asking the search committee and I and this church, we were asking the same question, what are we doing here And we were arriving at the same answer. My take on it is that we were essentially saying this in different ways, but it's the same essential message, and it was this. We are here as religious people. We are called as religious people to wake up, to rouse ourselves from our slumber and the false dreams of separation and disconnection. We are called to understand ourselves as a part of the family of things, connected to all that is. We are here to care for the human family, to hold each other in cupped hands. We are here to align ourselves with that love that will not let us go. What are we doing here? In short, we are becoming love's people. We are welcoming and affirming and protecting the light in each human heart. We are acting out in the world. We are listening with our whole selves to where love is calling us next. We are here to be marked as love's people. That was what I sensed four years ago in our conversations, in that week-long candidating interview. We didn't have the language then exactly, but that's what I sensed And I feel it coming alive even more so now. Don't you feel that as well in this place? Don't you feel that clarity about what we're here to do and why? That together we are called to be love's people in this world. The spirit of love and hope is alive here. Something is happening here. People are responding. There is energy and movement here. Children and families and all kinds of people show up on Sunday in our religious education program here. Hundreds of you are in our small groups listening deeply to where love is calling you next. Hundreds of you have given time and hands and hearts to this Habitat for Humanity effort. This year, our racial justice work begins in earnest. And though we are not experts in this work, we recognize the spiritual imperative behind it. We know that racism fundamentally distorts our humanity and the humanity of others. What are we doing here? Why are these things happening? What are we doing here? We're becoming love's 
people. We're being called awake by love so that we know in our bones we all spring from the same source, that we're in this together, that there is an underlying unity beyond all difference. And I want to be really clear this morning that we're not called to be a perfect church filled with perfect people. Thank God. We're not called to be the best church or the biggest church or the most famous church or the most prestigious church. We're not called to have our picture in the paper on a regular basis. We're not. We are called to be faithful to that simple task of becoming love's people in this world. That is the work that is ours to do, to make that love real in the world through service and justice. We are called to be cracked open and marked by the miracle of this life. We are called to be cracked open and marked by love. May it be so, you amazing collection of stardust. May it be so. Amen.